Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar guest episode. Who is our guest? Who? Who? It's an old pal. I don't even know what appearance number this is, Lee Diffie, but you have been you've been a great friend for a long time, but uh, especially since I started doing this podcast five or six years ago, you've been uh, on here many, many times sharing your thoughts, debating topics with me and having some fun. And I don't know if you've heard, but there's some pretty spicy stuff that's been going on this week. <laughs> there's rumors that Firestone is using a slightly softer left rear tire compound at Toronto. So I thought who better than to get on the show to talk about tire compounds, Lee Diffie. How you doing, bro? I got, I got, I go to track and field for one week, and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say yes, you indeed. You want to talk about lucky timing? Uh, you won't be in Toronto trying to manage the uh, the the poop show uh, going on there. You are indeed uh, on the west coast here uh, doing other duties for NBC Sports. So, thanks for uh, for calling in here while being busy preparing for all that. And let's say a quick thanks as always to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com for their love and support. Where should we start here, my friend? And should we offer a caveat that can't always say everything we know and share all the details? That's normal, much as we'd maybe love to spill all the beans about what's been brewing behind the scenes with McLaren Racing slash Air McLaren SP, Alex Pillow, Chip Ganassi Racing. My I safe in saying you, like I, did not expect all of this to explode in the manner that it did publicly on Tuesday with dueling, hey, he's signed to our team next year announcements. My goodness. I, mean, I was traveling uh, from New York to uh, here in Eugene, Oregon, where I'm at the World Track and Field Championships. And so I went from, I went from LaGuardia to Dallas-Fort Worth. And just before that flight took off, there was the Ganassi announcement. I was like, oh, okay, well, that rings true to Chip's words that the, uh, the team is staying solidified for the 2023 season. So I get to Dallas-Fort Worth, turn my phone on, phone's exploding <laughs> with, with below news about our own McLaren SP, or I should say McLaren Racing. So yeah. we welcome Alex below to the family. I'm like, my goodness, in the space of just one flight, uh, things have gone upside down. So what, what an extraordinary day. So you, having covered Formula One, covered IndyCar for a super long time, right? Back to Champ Car days. Covered the American Le Mans series, Grand Am, IMSA. And you've been dedicated to motor racing for most of your adult life. Where does this double booking of the same driver and all of the lack of coincidence behind it rank for you because that's the thing we maybe should crack into here a little bit there were some folks some not many but some who were livid at the incompetence lee of the pr departments between chip ganassi racing and mclaren racing for for stepping on top of each other and what ineptitude for both announcing these things at the same time yeah, there, there were no no mistakes here. There, there was no oops. Uh, there's a very real bit of strategery going on here. Have you seen anything else like this in all your years of covering racing? I, I honestly don't think I have. Um, 
but I have my take on it, which might be an odd take. But in a strange way, I actually see it as something, you know, for, of course, because it's controversial, everybody can easily get mired in the, in the controversial side of it. I actually see it as a positive because it means that the IndyCar driver market is healthy that if people want to fight so badly over one driver, yes, he's the reigning champion, but I see that as a positive. I see that as a good thing. And, you know, the, the rumours were rife, and they have been for a while, as to who's going where and who's going to fill that third seat, and that third spot, and um, who, who's going where, and the Rossi jumping early, and, you know, the maybe Colton Herter going to Formula 1, Pato Award to Formula 1. We don't know where that stands now. And it's just been... It's just been such a, I don't know, turbulent has a negative connotation to it. It's been active. It's been, it, it, it's been very vibrant. And, you know, we wish that our old pal, um, the late Robin Miller, was still alive because Robin would be just reveling in all of this. Um, and, you know, I, 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 see that, I see that as a positive sign because for many years, you know, things just kind of go in lockstep and I don't want to say ho-hum, but... You know, if there wasn't too, too much activity on the driver market or the silly season, people are like, yeah, whatever. Whereas this has got everybody talking. So I see that as a good thing. Can't disagree on the silly season part. A couple things I feel like I might have mentioned this on my listener Q&A podcast, but there, <laughs> I can tell you this because I've received the texts or calls or whatever else, and it, it doesn't mean anything, but there is a little bit of kind of humor to the side. Hey, you remember all the drama going into mid Ohio about the AJ Foyt racing team and their sponsor and who was going to drive and who wasn't and what was going to happen after and how would they survive? And then, Hey, remember mid Ohio would all the Andretti drivers ran to each other. And that was a super grumpy thing. And journalists were being threatened to delete videos of barky shouting and whatnot or else. And Hey, <laughs> Don't really remember any of that. This has quieted all that down. And uh, I can tell you that from some of those teams, some of the drivers, some of the whatever uh, calls or e texts or whatever uh, in the last couple of days, that's been another theme too of like, man, whatever we thought was big and spicy and dramatic a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. We, we've more or less forgotten about that now. I even feel bad, Lee, for Colton Herta. Right, hopping on a plane, coming back from Portugal, big first Formula One test went super well. Is that what anyone's going to be talking about now? Probably not. You know, here's an, another kind of media related thing that might be perfect to get your thoughts on. So, as I wrote last night and went up this morning, uh, this being Thursday on racer.com, uh, expect the majority of the, the Ganassi team, if not the entire team, to be under pretty deep gag order this weekend, right? It's a lot of stuff going on. This thing could easily turn legal. Nobody wants to say or do anything that's going to cause any problems. So I expected there to be a, everybody shut up, <laughs> put a, a Carvana tape over your mouth, Husky chocolate tape, whatever sponsor-related tape, put it over your mouth, shut up till we get out of here. Uh, learn tomorrow... Indeed, the Chip Ganassi Racing Team will be making Alex Pillow available for 30 minutes in the traditional Friday media scrum. 
now, granted, I think he's going to have about 19 people from Ganassi's PR department <laughs> uh, <laughs> circling him the whole time. But that surprised me, and I appreciate that. I, I'm like, hey, that, that's actually, I like your style. Does that surprise you, though, Lee, that they're actually putting him in front of folks uh, at a time where I would think they might have said, nope, we are keeping all of you away from microphones and probing questions? Well, I think from the team perspective and from Chip Ganassi's perspective, it's a, it's a positive and, a, and a, uh, a strong move, meaning that, you know, as with everything that has come out publicly, Chip has stood firm in saying he is our driver and he is committed to this team per, by contract through 2023. So um, we're not trying to hide anything. He's our driver and here he is. If you want to talk to him, here he is. Now, what they've said to him, to Alex, behind closed doors, who knows? But um, I think it's actually a little bit of a power move from Ganassi to say, we're not hiding anything. Here he is. Go your hardest. Um, now, what Alex Pillow actually says in that 30-minute availability will be really intriguing. Uh, Alex is, as you and I both know, and anyone who's come across him, he's a very sophisticated, um, you know, smooth operator. Um, he thinks about what you ask him. He thinks about what you what he says. Um, he's 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 very measured, um, and and he's a global athlete. You know, he's raced all over the world. This isn't a guy. You know, he's not a one trick pony. So, yeah, I, I would be intrigued to see what his what, what, what his wording is tomorrow. Um, and I just, you know, at the end of the day, he's got a job to do. He's got a race. He's still in championship contention, massively in championship contention to defend his title. So he's still got a job to do at the end of the day. So this is going to be a massive distraction. Does he allow that to be a distraction or does he just get on with it? He seems relatively unflappable. So we, we, we will see. That was another main thing I thought was interesting here. There was a pretty serious pros and cons weighing of whether to keep him in the car for this weekend. They chose to. And another thing that I wrote, I could argue both sides of that. Hey, the guy's fourth in the championship. Uh, he's your defending champion. Are you, would you really remove that guy from the possibility of going for another title? Uh, but Hey, if you might actually be suing your driver, is that something we've really ever seen before? Someone actively competing while potentially being served papers. Um, there's another thing that came to mind after I wrote uh, that article last night. One or two folks mentioned this on social media too. It's an angle I hadn't thought of again in time to put in the story. And that was, even if it's going to be very awkward, even if this might be a, a stressed and strained thing now uh, for the remainder of the season, if Chip Ganassi Racing is going to go to court and try and prove to a judge that not only, well, that they're, contract with Polo is the one and only contract that's valid for next season. Uh, they probably would not be helping themselves if they stood him down. Uh, how might that look to a judge? If you're trying to say, no, this is our guy, they can't have him, but you then chose to take him out of the seat. How much do you think the, the legal side, and I'm asking a question, I know the answer to, but how much do you think the legal side uh, whether it's thoughts like this of whether to run him or not run him, 
the very legally worded uh, release from McLaren Race, again, clearly went through the hands of, of a number of lawyers. How much of an intrusion, brother, do you think the legal side and a storm that may be brewing in the future in courts, how much do you think that's factoring into decisions, words, etc., of what's going on with this? Well, think about this for a second. And, uh, you know, not, I'm not trying not to answer your question about the, about the legal side of it, but just think about it from this first bus stop on this wild tour is that the principal sponsor, the naming rights sponsor, and for multiple years now of the IndyCar series is the NTT IndyCar series. And Alex Pillow drives the NTT data Honda. I mean, just the optics of it wouldn't be good. So again, it's, I think that's a smart move from, from Ganassi um, because that would look, that would, that to me would be a black eye on the series. You take, you know, with, with that title sponsorship, on the car of the series and you take the defending series champion out of the car. Um, you know, so boy, mate, we could go in a million different directions on this topic. <laughs> I mean, that's why, that's why like you, the, going back to your very first question, have, have I ever seen anything like this? No, not, not off the top of my head. I mean, this is to me, this is something that you would normally see in formula one, not IndyCar, right? Where you're talking about, lawyers and contracts and breaches and you know this to me is more up up the formula one road as opposed to indycar so it's certainly uh it's certainly rocked the series hasn't it there's another thing i wanted to ask about lee based on your experience just before we started recording it's getting to work on the initial some of the initial questions that were sent my way uh for next week's racer mailbag and one of them hit the nail on the head of something I'd been thinking about this year before we even got to this whole Polo gate thing, which folks I've seen some folks call it that I'm like, Oh man. Um, there's been a, a feeling like the McLaren racing side has really dialed things up in terms of going after folks, uh, trying to recruit folks just almost a, an F one level right? F1, you hear about all the time. It's ruthless, right? Sharks, nothing but sharks going after each other and trying to poach drivers and crew and engineers and designers. And it's just nasty. Everyone's trying to take each other off at the knees. Gotcha. It's not so much the culture in IndyCar though, right? Not saying there's never been anything like that. Just saying ruthlessness is not really something we talk about and how deals are done or pursuits happen in the paddock the person who's writing in was saying yeah, it does kind of feel like that's where mclaren might be uh introducing a bit of that to the indycar paddock do you see that at all do you see uh some of this more aggressive f1 style of going about things is that something you, um, you see or I feel could, from could, your time there i could i could see how i could see how that would be perceived um by that by that um viewer or listener or the, the person who interacted on Twitter, I could see an element of that because they have, they have been um, pretty aggressive. You know, uh, even if you go back to even before McLaren Racing took over the majority ownership of it, before that deal was done um, with Rick Peterson and Sam Schmidt, you know, they went after Craig Hampson pretty hard, right, to, to get him to head up the engineering. And then, and then they went after Gavin Ward, who was at Team Penske, and the former F1 uh, Red Bull F1 engineer. 
And then, you know, they've been pretty aggressive on the driver market. But if you... And there's nothing wrong just, or legal. To, I mean, there's not, nothing... No. Th- there's no. nothing wrong with that. Just the... Yeah, to, uh, nothing bad there. Just how it gets played. Uh, that is being, open to being, interpretation. Being devil's advocate. Being devil's advocate. You're not taking anyone's side. Just standing in the middle. And you're saying, what is this? It's a competition. It's a motor racing competition where millions and millions of dollars are at stake. Um, many, many livelihoods are on the line. Many careers are on the line. And they're not in it. They're not in it for a cup of tea. They're in it to win it. Right? So they stand back. They being Aaron McLaren SP, big commercial support, um, you know, uh, commercial partners on both sides of the Atlantic. And they're like, you know what? We're tired of hearing about Tim Penske. We're tired of hearing about Chip Ganassi Racing. We're tired of hearing about Andretti Autosport. It's our time. So if you just be devil's advocate and you take it from that standpoint, they're, they're, going, to, they're going ahead full gas. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's you know, t- to me, we, we had a production call, an NBC Sports production call a little while ago. And I just, and, and we also have competition calls with race control before each week. Uh, where the president Jay Fry is on that call, race director Kyle Novak, they where they give us their insights and views of the upcoming weekend, any changes to the circuits, etc. It's a, it's an integral part of our week to week lead up, and we were we were reflecting on on the year, and uh, you know at that stage I think we're only seven races in or whatever it might have been. And I, I just year on year, Marshall, you know, and this is the sport that we love. Year on year, this thing just keeps getting better, and yes, this is a negative slash controversial moment you could say but again it's another point of spice this thing just keeps getting more and more interesting (laughs) as the years go by i mean how good is it how good is it to be a part of it it's amazing we're gonna call this week granted this weekend's event is officially uh the honda indy toronto maybe we're gonna just call it the ghost pepper grand prix uh (laughs) right (laughs) we're just you talk about spicy we're having all kinds of fun. So there was uh, one other main topic I wanted to cover with you, brother, before uh, you've got to go, and that is, hey, we did just cross over the halfway point of the season. I will admit that had the Palo Ganassi, McLaren thing not blown up uh, and dominated pretty much all of Tuesday and Wednesday and even half of today, I was going to do try and do some sort of in-depth uh, mid-season something or other. But in the absence of that, I wanted to talk about getting to just the, the halfway point and a little bit beyond nine races down, eight races to go. Marcus Erickson leading the championship by 20 points, right? It's not a huge margin by any means. Will Power close behind him. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, again, a little, little farther back, but not much. Polo, right? Uh, one point behind Newgarden in fourth. Pato Ward, uh, he's got a little bit of work to do. Last race wasn't great with a motor um, saying farewell, but Dixie not too far behind. Our boy McLaughlin rising uh, back and winning last round. Rossi uh, definitely on a charge and such. Give me some thoughts. Give me Lee Diffie's look at the second half of the season. Who do you think is going to continue to rise and really uh, become one of the two or three main title contenders that always uh, emerge. Are there any fallers, you think? Risers and fallers. What do you see as we get into this uh, second half of the season, brother, and start to settle who is going to be our champion? 
I don't think that there and and him leading the championship points is just the the cherry on top. I don't think there's anybody you could be more impressed with than Marcus Ericsson. Took him a little while to find his feet in IndyCar. Uh, there were some changes within his personal life, and the light switch came on. And he has this amazing bond with his engineer, Brad Goldberg, and just everything has clicked for him. And it's not just this year. It happened in the second half of last year. And when he got that first win, it was from that point on. And, um, you know, he's driving better than... You can't really count his Formula One career because he was never in a car that could contend for a podium. But even he will tell you he's driving better now than he's ever driven. He was a front runner. Uh, in, in when he raced GP2, he was a little bit of a wild man there now. He was then. Now I see him as this complete driver who is calm. He is happy to, to, to take the big moves and make the big moves. Like those closing laps at the Indianapolis 500, I've never seen him drive like that. And that was, that was to me, he stepped it up to the next level. And I don't think there's anybody you could be more impressed with than him. And he's look, look who he's surrounded by, right? So it's not like it's a pressure-less situation. Um, I just think I think he, he has been remarkable. I don't think we've seen the best of Scott Dixon yet this year. I think there's more to come from Scott. Um, I think it has been, as his second year, his sophomore year, I think it's been a remarkable year for Scott McLaughlin as far as learning more than he even learnt last year. And to have those couple of wins um, and, and, and the way that, you know, the way that the year started and then the way it went kind of, you know, from rounds three through six or seven, and then the way that he, the way that he's brought it back has been really impressive. Um, uh, I really don't think Felix Rosenquist's results reflect how mm. well he's been driving of late. Well spotted. And, uh, you know, Pato is Pato. I think, um, and I hope that Colton Herter is able to kind of just control things a little bit more. He's too good to have those unforced errors. Um, that have occurred on multiple occasions, you know, and I don't, I really don't like to see that from him because he is so special. He is amazing and, you know, will we'll have an incredible career and will be a champion and will be an Indy 500 winner or will end up in Formula One. Whatever that kid does, none of us are going to be surprised. Um, I, I have loved the story. Um, I think uh, Kyle Kirkwood has shown us some really good things and when he gets to Andretti next year, no disrespect to Foyt, I'm going to be really intrigued. I love the story, like everybody does, of the underdog and the Hunkos Hollinger story mm. and Callum Eilat. I just think that has been remarkable. And I constantly say in the broadcasts, if you draw a light in the sand from Portland last year when they arrived to where they are now as a single-car team with limited resources and limited budget and, um, you know, this... this, uh, this Man, Ricardo Hunkos, who works, you know, 10 days out of seven, coupled with this uber successful businessman and Brad Hollinger, who once owned 10% of Williams Formula One. And they're kind of like the odd couple, right? And, but it works. It works. And, and this, this, this British kid who didn't know any of the tracks and didn't know anything, he's surprising us all of the time. And I don't know, mate, I, I think we could, we could sit here for two hours and just go through all 26, 27 regular drivers and that there are, there are stories to tell. I mean, it's been, um, it's been such an enjoyable season, and I know that we're we're far from the end of it. Um, I'm going to miss the next two weekends terribly because I'm I'm here at the Track and Field World Championships. So, but I'll keep an eye on it uh, the best I can. Um, and I just think 
I don't see anything changing. I see I see the second half of the season as good as the first. I think it's, it just uh, just keeps getting better. Let me ask about one more story, and I know it's one you and I are very, very fond of. DJ Willie P. Craziest guy oh, yeah. we know. Craziest guy yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah. In or out of the car. Love every ounce of the guy. Uh, sitting here looking like he has wound the clock back to 2014. Uh, this, I'm just saying, if he ends up getting to where he wants to be and getting a second championship, not only would that be an amazing story, Lee, what do you think that does in term would do to close here in terms of regard and respect and everything else? Being a one-time Indy 500 winner, it's amazing. Folks always say, well, boy, but if you could do two, that would put you in a different place. One-time champion, it's amazing. A lot of folks in that club. If you were able to get two titles, do you think that would change? How he was regarded in history, uh, today, you name it, would that put him in a different place? I don't think it would put him in a different place. I think people people wouldn't remember the two championships. People would remember this year mm. and the way that he has controlled himself. And his wife, Liz, will, will be the first to tell you from being the first-hand spectator to it how hard he has worked at not flipping out, at keeping control. And I can tell you, mate, from that, that, that last race at Mid-Ohio, he was in such an amazing mood. Um, he, had, he had spoken to, to uh, Devlin DeFrancesco about the Road America incident and then said on reflection, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not too hard on the kid. You know, it was what it was. Um, and uh, James Hinchcliffe and I were in the paddock and we were talking to him at, it was that late session on Friday. This was Friday morning. He was so amped up. He was so ready to go. He's like, I hate sitting around, you know. We were chatting about different things. And I said, hey, lucky, lucky things didn't escalate with DeFrancesco, you know. I said, do you know, you know that he's trained by an Australian Olympic boxer huh. in Miami? <laughs> and uh, and, and, and uh, Will, Will starts shaping up. He goes, oh, yeah, I'll have a go. <laughs> <laughs> that's but our that's guy. The mind, that's the mindset that he's had. He's like, he's this, really, he's this freewheeler at the moment. And keeping a lid on the on, on the on the extreme emotions, and then Townsend and I spent a little bit of time with him later in the weekend in the back of the hauler, and he, he was there joking with his with his team guys, and you know, Will can be his own worst enemy and his greatest advocate, and at the moment he's being his greatest advocate by just keeping those extremes um, under control and keeping it more flatline, and I just think he, you know, maybe out of all of his seasons. You know, even if he doesn't win the championship this year, I think out of all of his seasons, this one could be regarded as the best for being, you know, walking away with a 15th and saying, no, okay, no worries, let's move on to the next one and winning. And then that's great. And then, you know, just doing, you know, what, what beginning of the season, you know, he had, he had that string of thirds and fourths, but that was enough to put him on top of the championship. And I think it's just been a, he's been the architect of a really intelligent season. I think he has realized that he's not going to have too many more opportunities to do this, right? Not saying he's done at the end of the year by any means. He isn't. He has one more year in his contract, uh, and hopefully that gets extended. But I think he's also realized that, you know what? Um, I'm only going to get a couple more shots at this, and I can do this. I can get more. I can be better. I can tap into the best parts that worked in the past and find new areas uh that i haven't used before and to your point i love where he's at 
Uh, I can't think of anybody other than Erickson and Newgarden, a few others, who would be pissed uh, if he ended up as the champion. But, man, uh, cannot wait. Cannot wait to get there. Going to miss you at Iowa, unfortunately. But uh, go do good things. We'll be tuning in through Peacock throughout the weekend, listening to what Kevin Lee, uh, Townie Bell, and James Hinchcliffe in the booth there enjoy uh, every i know you do love track and field so uh, i know you're enjoying that as well brother but look forward to seeing you in person here very soon back on the indycar trail and uh onwards and upwards first time for the track and field world championships to happen on u.s soil so it's another form of racing and it's very cool and it's a it's a wonderful um uh, marquee occasion for the united states of america to have the track and field world championships Team USA is the most dominant team in the in the history of the Olympic Games and the World Championships, and, um, and you know no, no other nation comes close as far as total medals. And so to not have the track and field world worlds here uh, has been quite strange. So to have it uh, here in Oregon on the West Coast and on US soil for the first time is really cool. So, like you said, mate, racing of a different kind, but still racing. Amen, brother. <laughs> Amen.